Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, we have Ron Caps, Doug Coletta, and drag racing journalist Mike Galimi. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. Top Fuel Nitro Funny Car and Drag Radials today. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace! This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hello and welcome back to the NHRA Insider after a brief break. Unfortunately, I was unable to make a show directly after the Winter Nationals because I only had like one day before I had to pack up and go down to Georgia to announce Lights Out 11, which we'll be talking about a little bit later in the show when guest Mike Galimi arrives on the scene. Let us catch up a little bit about what's been going on here at Pomona, since Pomona, after Pomona. Successes. Boy, we had a bunch. Huge audience. Uh, on Sunday alone, we had 1.13 million people tuned in to watch Eliminations. Uh, great way for us to start our NHRA on Fox year. That was an FS1 race, and uh, when we get to our big network races a little bit later in the season, expecting some big things out of them as well. As I make this, I'm going to be heading down to Phoenix tomorrow to get ready and prepared for the Arizona Nationals this weekend. Uh, glad to see car counts uh, bumped up. Uh, we got full car, car counts in top fuel. We got uh, 19 or 20 pro stockers in there. We got a full field in Nitro Funny Car as well. And these early season races on the West Coast, thousands of miles away from the majority of our teams, do tend to struggle with car count. It's been that way for several years. Obviously, the Pomona situation was a little bit different than we've seen in the past with Steve Torrance deciding to skip the race. And because of that, some other races deciding to skip the race as well. Thankfully, everything seems to be resolved in that regard, and Steve Torrance, a defending top field champion, will start his season in Phoenix and um, will hopefully run the majority, if not all, the rest of the races of 2020. I ran into Gary Pritchett down at Lights Out. He was hanging out, and I know he's excited to go back to race, and as are all the team members of the Capco team. So, yeah, it was kind of a controversial beginning to the season uh, on that front with uh, with the Torrance teams deciding to sit out Pomona. And is course, it is, of course, their right to do that. They can make independent decisions. They're an independent team. And just very glad to have them back. And, again, hopefully we got them for the entire year. The race itself was phenomenal. And the reason I have the guests I have on this show today being – Doug Coletta and Ron Caps is because they both presented interesting stories. Obviously, for Doug Coletta winning the race, um, his third straight win at Pomona, starting with the 2019 Winter Nationals, then he wins the 2019 Finals, then he wins the 2020 Winter Nationals, something that no top fuel racer has ever done before. No one has ever won three consecutive events at Pomona. Not even Don Garlitz, when he was killing them all, pulled that off. So a very neat thing there. And I want to talk to Doug about his performance because it was otherworldly. Um, not just in the starting line, which we'll get to, but we watched what he did in the first round against Brandon Welch. Pedals the race car to a 388. He pedaled to a 388. I'll say that again just to put extra emphasis on it. And the pedal job was so instantaneous, it was almost it almost missed me. I almost missed it, I should say. It was so quick that he settled the car so fast that, uh, again, pedaling to a 388, when the car is shaking the tires, basically when it goes to 60 feet, there is about two people in the world, I think, that can handle that task in the top fuel car successfully. One of them, of course, Doug Collette, and he proved himself again. 
His reaction times, he had two lights in the 30s in eliminations against two of the best levers in the category. We're going to talk about understanding your opponent and how and why and when you step up and attack on the starting line. For Ron Caps, um, the reason he's on there is because I wanted to talk to him about how emotional he got at the top end. He was giving an interview, I believe it was in qualifying, and um, talking about the team, talking about them being qualified. They made a nice solid run. And it uh, it almost overwhelmed him. So for a guy who's been doing this for 20-plus years, I want to talk about the things that capture the emotion of someone who has been through this drill before. Certainly not the drill he's in this year, though, and maybe that's the, the key to all this is the big preseason fire and their recovery from it. So we'll talk about that as well. And Mike Galemi will come on. We're going to talk about small tire drag racing. We're going to talk about outlaw drag racing, Stevie Fast, and the success that Stevie had at Lights Out. Uh, if I can double back on my own personal impressions from the Winter Nationals this year, um, loved the scene and will continue to love the scene this year in Pro Stock. The growth, 20 cars on the grounds at Pomona. We're going to have, I believe, 19 on the grounds when we get to Arizona this weekend. Um, it's great. And, you know, we can go back and look at those 30-some car attempted qualifying fields from 20 years ago or whatever. Uh, I'll take 20 all day long. I'll take 20 tight, tight cars all day long. We look at some of those old categories, and there's a tenth and a half, two tenths top to bottom. Nothing wrong with that, but give me 20 cars that uh, give me 20 cars that are going to scrap to try to get in the field. That makes it very entertaining. And then we get into eliminations, and, and we, see some, uh, we see some great stuff there as well. Good starts and bad starts, you know, we're going to talk about that um, on another show that we're doing for NHRA called Deep Stage that hopefully you've been watching or seen. Um, I'll talk about Deep Stage here in a few minutes, but uh, obviously Antron Brown didn't get off to the start he wanted, loses in the first round, leaves by a mile on Sean Reed, then smokes the tires and Reed's able to get around him. Nature of the business. It was very, very Southern California cold on Sunday. I say Southern California cold because uh, born and raised in Massachusetts, still live in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts now, and 50 degrees isn't cold for us. It is for Southern California. So I had people sending me hate mail uh, after the race saying, what are you saying it's cold for? It was 10 degrees when I woke up. Well, congratulations. You live in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. That's supposed to be 10 degrees when you wake up. People that live in Southern California, when it's 50 degrees, they freak out. And they stay home and wrapped up in blankets like, uh, you know, like it's the nuclear winter or something like that. But uh, we had a lot of Hardy fans come out on Sunday and enjoy a show at Pomona that was very unique. Racetrack temperature was frigid, as I mentioned, 70 degrees somewhere on there in the first round, which is very cold and, and probably as cold as any racetrack we've ridden or raced on for a very long time. It was neat to see people make debuts, to see Brandon Welch come out, to see Alexis DeJoria return to Nitro Funny Car. Um, these are all great stories. And... It's going to be fun to watch Doug Foley return to Top Fuel this weekend in Arizona, and we're going to continue to see this movement ahead. Joey Haas is going to be licensing in Terry Totten's Top Fuel car on Monday in Arizona after the race. So Phoenix is going to be interesting. It always is. Um, the, the 1990 running of the Phoenix race was the first time they moved it from the end of the year to the beginning of the year. It always used to be the race before the finals. I shouldn't say always. It spent that way for several years. But then in 1990, they moved it to the position that it's in now very early in the season, and it made a lot more sense. They used to get some really nasty hot weather when they ran that race late in the year, and what they produced uh, from that point forward typically are cool weekends. Now, there is a chance of precipitation on Saturday, which I hope goes away. Not a very big chance, not a lot of precipitation, but there is a chance we could get a little dampness there 
which would not be cool, um, but we deal with it as we always do. We lucked out in Pomona. Thankfully, to the work of the NHRA Safety Safari and Race Control, they started the day an hour early, and we dodged some raindrops throughout the course of the day, but were able to finish the event on Sunday afternoon, which is always the goal to allow the teams to pack up and head down the road and to hit our windows as far as television production and all that kind of good stuff. I did mention a huge audience on FS1 for the first race. I'd like to mention that again. 1.1 million people watched the finals on Sunday. We had great viewing audiences for our qualifying shows as well and uh, had some great lead-ins with our friends at, uh, at NASCAR and Fox leading into our NHRA and Fox broadcast, and it's always great when we have that kind of partnership going on. What should we look for in Phoenix, Arizona this weekend? Um, I think we should look for more of the same. We're going to ask our guests what they think they're going to need to do and what they can do in Phoenix. It's going to be warmer. We're going to be a little bit more in tune, in line with what we have come to expect with an NHRA race day weekend. The racing facility itself at Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park has been updated. The track was ground. It was polished. And uh, and all indications are it is beautifully smooth and nice. Remember, during preseason testing, some of the teams went to Las Vegas and some of the teams went to Phoenix. And the teams that went to Phoenix said that the surface was good. It's had a few more weeks to be seasoned, to be dragged, to be rotated, to be rubberized, and by all indications should be uh, should be a very nice racing surface when we start qualifying on Friday of this week. Any controversies coming out of the Winter Nationals? I wouldn't really say so. I mean, there's some great feel-good stories. Alex Milodinovich coming out in the Hot for Teacher car and qualifying gave an incredibly emotional kind of just beautiful outburst, if you will, top-end interview when he did qualify for the show, um, said that he felt like John Milner, who is, of course, the fictional character in the American Graffiti movies and American Graffiti 1. He's the guy with the hot rod, or the, the 32 Ford hot rod that races Bob Milner. Milner has that, uh, fifth, rather, Bob Falfa. Bob Falfa has the 55 Chevy. They race. And uh, John Milner main, you know, maintains his status as kind of the king of the valley. He's the fastest hot rodder around. And in American Graffiti 2, he actually goes fuel racing. If you've never seen American Graffiti 2, definitely not as good as the first one, but um, if you love vintage drag racing, there's a ton of good stuff there. And, and John Milner becomes a professional drag racer in that second movie. Definitely worth your time to watch it if you love the history of the sport. Had nostalgia cars at the Winter Nationals, and that did not necessarily go as we would have loved it to. We had some delays with the car getting in the net, and then with scheduling delays, we didn't get to see them as much as we wanted. But there was a great collection of historic drag cars as well, and the fans certainly loved that, kind of reveling in the history of that second oldest event on on the tour. Always good to get the first one done. The rust was knocked off. We're ready to rock and roll as far as an NHRA on Fox team. We know the teams are ready to go this weekend. So without further ado, I think we should get this show started. Our guest today, we're going to start off with a guy who really needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway, as uh, he is the man who finished second in the top fuel points for the 2019 series, a guy who has been in that second place spot five times over the course of his career, widely recognized, factually so, as one of the best top fuel drivers of all time, and continues to be at the top of the class as we watched his display at the Winter Nationals in 2020, showing us that he is uh, showing no signs of erosion of skill. The guy uh, put on a great show, and it's great to have uh, it's great to have our first guest on this on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Doug Coletta is currently on a three race winning streak at Pomona. How you doing, Doug? Very good. Yeah, thanks, Ray. So checking in with me. Yeah, man. No, it's and I thank you for taking the time. I know things in the uh, the world of Coletta, everything has been very busy recently. So <laughs> thank you for carving out a little time for us here. Um, um, 
Let's talk about the Winter Nationals, man, and let's talk about you being apparently very comfortable behind the seat of a very fast race car. Well, I have to have to admit, it's uh, like drag, you know, drag racing in the mid is just one big old team effort with uh, with what you got going on with your, you know, your, your guys on your team and your sponsor and all the, you know, just the maintenance and the shop and everybody that makes, uh, you know, that's part of it. So, so yeah, we've we've put together. Uh, you know, as the years continue, um, you know, Rob and Troy, you know, tuned my car all last year. And, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, we, you know, just a never ending trying to get a, a good handle on it. And, uh, I'm just real proud of, uh, proud of what they're doing. And, uh, and you know, the guys that work in my car, I mean, uh, so it was, yeah, it was good going to a track that I love to race at and, uh, and be able to pull off a win. That's for sure. Yeah, and it was done in, in a pretty interesting fashion. I mean, that first round was bizarre because the racetrack was so cold, right? I think the track temperature was like 70-some degrees. And you pedaled the first round. You pedaled yourself to like an 88, which is not something that normally happens. Uh, talk to me a little bit, if you can recall, on that run. Because what, what was so interesting to me is, one, it was a pretty seamless pedal job. But, two, it happened so early in the run that it, we normally don't see a car grab the racetrack that well again that early. And yours did. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you're in sheer panic mode. <laughs> I think when that happens, you know, it's like, oh, you know, so it's, you know, so you just, you feel it coming and you just whack the gas as quick as you can and hope for the best. And uh, and I was fortunate there that the uh, thing went back up and went. So big relief for sure. Yeah, no, 100%. Think, yeah, yeah no, those, all those rounds were, were tough on Sunday. Yeah, and, and the second round for me, and I think for a lot of us, was really neat because Justin Ashley, um, young driver who came out, you know, last year in Top Fuel and and put on a, a pretty good display for himself in Charlotte, and you know, I think at this point has removed all doubt that he can certainly drive one of these cars and and does so very well in the starting line, and. Uh, what what was great was to me it was this kind of showdown in the second round and it wasn't like a highly emotional showdown but it was two guys that we expect to be good on the starting line and it was two guys that ended up being spectacular he was 40 and then you not wanting to give him an inch were 36 so you gotta you know a lot of people say oh it doesn't matter who I'm racing but to some degree don't you have to understand who the guy is in the other lane and that 36 wasn't a mistake yeah yeah I was just trying to settle in after a you know, just getting the day going, your first race. Um, and like you say, I mean, you know who you're racing and you know who, uh, and we all look at those sheets. Sure. And, uh, yeah, so you, you just have to, I think, just man up and just go up there and just see that thing and, and you know, just get a little, little higher on the wheel and, and try to, uh, you know, just try to hit the best you can. So, Oh, yeah, and you clearly relief to get by him. Like you say, he's uh, he's killing that tree. A couple of them out there. Yeah, and, <laughs> and that's going to be a lot of the guys. I have to admit, I mean, everybody's real hungry out there. You know, it's going to be an interesting year with uh, with the top fuel uh, group that we're racing against for sure. Yeah, and I think that's a to your point, and that was kind of where I was going to go next. Is you know, you've been doing this long enough to see. Um, not just different people come through, but to see kind of different trends kind of manifest themselves coming coming through Top Fuel as a category. And, I mean, we look at – you look at like year over year kind of the, the average reaction time of the, of the premier competitors, and, I mean, it's tight. It's very tight. Yeah. And we look at the tuners and the average elapsed times, and you really – there's nobody else – there's nobody in my mind anyway that sits in one of those cars on a Sunday anymore that you just go, okay – 
this guy is going to be 90 or 100. Pretty much everybody can step up and be 60 to 50, with the great ones being 40s with regularity. And I don't know if that's ever happened in this class before. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun for sure. If you if you can talk a little bit about um, uh, the way that um, I guess the way that the team is uh, approaching this year, you, you came out of the countdown really well last year. You had a very strong countdown. Is it the same mentality that's carried into the beginning of this year? Because it sure seemed like it. The car looked to be very aggressive in the tune-up, and it looked a lot like the same car we saw race just a few months ago. Yeah, we were able to keep all the same guys on my car from last year, so that was that was a good thing for us. And uh, you know, Rob and uh, and Troy Fassing, uh, Rob Flynn, Troy Fassing, there they're uh, they're working well together, you know, and. Uh, so yeah, we're just trying to build on what we're doing, and unfortunately, their curb, for the most part, is going down the track, and and really the third round there in Pomona, um, you know, being able to run a, a mid anything sixty run, yeah, <laughs> and not have the the thing blow up is was just huge for us. And we ran a couple sixties, and actually, uh, and the motor looked good. So, with any luck, we're sneaking up on being able to run in the sixties. You know, it just uh, we'll move it. <laughs> you take a race, you know, round by round. You know, drag racing you're only as good as your last run, I think. But uh, um, but no, that that was very uh, encouraging for for me. You know, everybody on my team, you know, everybody a part of a lot of motorsports. Uh, you know, that we we ran in the '60s and uh, you know sneaking it, up on something. Yeah, and and as intense as you know, as intense as our Sunday race days are. Um, obviously, uh, speaking in general terms here, things have been incredibly intense in the in the business world of the Coletta Air and Coletta Charters uh, genre here over the last, I don't even know, couple of months or however many decades we can go back. But it would seem that it's been a very, very incredibly busy period for you on a business side these last couple of months. I mean, it is it a nice escape to get to the racetrack or is it like, oh my God, what am I going to be coming back into on Monday? I guess talk a little bit about that because you're in a different position than some of the other competitors in terms of your responsibilities outside of the race car. So how much of going to the racetrack is a nice step back and how much of it is stuff gnawing in the back of your head that you're going to have to deal with when you get done? Yeah, no, fortunately, you know, all our business has been around for quite a while and, uh, you know, you surround yourself with good people, and uh, and I have to admit, with racing from you know, all the years that I've been racing, I mean, uh, you know, it forces you really to to de- you know to really focus on delegating, building a team, trying not to you know have to be involved with everything that's going on, and rely on the people that you've got, and and that's and that's a good thing because that's what people are looking for, you know, that you put in these positions, so. For me, being able to have an outlet like drag racing, um, you know, is is a good thing for me. Um, you know, and it's getting away on the weekends. Same thing. I mean, you've done the best you can all week. You know, you've got people in place that uh, want to do the job, can do the job. You don't really need to be involved in everything, and so it it works out perfect, really. No, that's great, and uh, obviously the. You know, I think the sign of a, of a good manager of a good run company is always like when when the boss can walk out the door and come back and there's not a fire <laughs> in the building on yeah. Monday morning, right? We've all uh, we've all been involved or been around people who who feel like they need to have their hand in everything, and as soon as they look off the ball, the uh, the place wants to tip over on them. So that's uh, that's not a healthy way to run a business, as you know, and and clearly that's the that's the setup that uh, that you guys have. 
Um, I think we're coming up on Connie's 77th or 78th birthday here in the next couple of days, I think inside of a week. Um, you know, you have spent an incredible amount of time with that guy over the course of your life and, you know, flying back and forth to the races and flying all over the place, performing uh, different tasks for the business. Uh, does he still teach you stuff or do you still do you still learn things from Connie? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's uh, going to be 82. Um, he's the most fearless guy I know in business. I mean, he's just one of those guys that, you know, if there's something that he believes in that he can, you know, continue to strengthen uh, the company and he'll do it. And uh, even at as old as he is, uh, or, hit, or I shouldn't say that, but at his age. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> sorry. No, it's all good. At his age, I mean, he is just driven, you know, to um, continue to build the best uh, racing operation and airline, um, you know, that he can. And it's pretty inspiring, really, to see uh, – after all these years, I mean, he's uh, he's still in there most of the day, really. Um, do, so, you, um, do you feel like he tunes the car like he runs the company, you know, or or like he does does his tuning strategy kind of line up with his business strategy in terms of he always seems to have that car in a very kind of attacking position? Yeah, no, he does. Yeah, he's and again, I mean, he's surrounded himself with good people and. Uh, you know, it's a it's it's a great team effort for sure with uh, everything that he's got going on, and uh, it's certainly a lot of fun. Uh, you know, with aviation, I kind of grew up next to an Air Force base my whole life, and when I've had the opportunity to work for Connie, I'm like airplanes and race cars. <laughs> I'm right. like, where do I start, man? I'm like, <laughs> I'm just so I was all in. I'm, you know, it's still still that way. So yeah, you know, unfortunately. It was, uh, you know, having the ability to have the team that, you know, allows me just to come in on the weekends and, and race and, and not have, you know, I don't really probably spend this, uh, that much time at the race shop and, you know, kind of in and out of the shop. But, um, you know, I'm definitely not as hands on with the tuning and all that that oh, sure. you know, Connie's involved with. And, uh, and he's over there, you know, trying to figure out the, the weakest link and trying to help shore up what we got to do to make the cars run quicker. And then, you know, just kind of watching him too with what he does with that is, uh, is pretty incredible as well. Yeah. And, and just to, you touched on one thing that I'm interested in because I, you know, had a chance to sit down with Connie for a couple hours, uh, last year or two years ago. And, you know, I was interested. I asked him this question and I thought I was going to get some great answer. And I said, you know, what, do you remember like the first time you saw an airplane as a kid? And he's like, no. <laughs> and yeah. it was like, you know, and his, his reasoning for getting into business was very pragmatic. He, he knew a guy that had a plane that was making money and he wanted to make money. And it sounds like at least to me from your answer about uh, growing up near the base is that, you know, these airplanes were something that kind of caught your attention as a kid, it less more so in the romantic sense of maybe than he ever saw it. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and that was, but he's uh, he's taught me a lot over the years, and uh, he like say when I back in the eighties when I first started flying, um, you know, the reason I got checked out and learned it so early in my life was, you know, as soon as I had the ratings, you know, and he wanted to take a Learjet, so we were flying Learjets, and uh, for years, you know, flying in and out of these tracks with him. Um, same thing with that. I mean, you know, never afraid to go into the shortest runway. <laughs> you know, and just always, you know, like saving money by, um, you know, just keeping it tight on fuel and just, I mean, and we've always been safe, you know. So, great <laughs> yeah. job over the years, but it just, 
It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of us could have we did. <laughs> yeah, I can almost see it as like, I remember being a kid, being on road trips with your family, and you're, look, you're looking over your dad's shoulder, and you're watching the fuel gauge kind of get ready to bounce off E, and you're thinking, man, how many more miles can we go? And somebody says yeah. something, your dad goes, ah, we can go another 200 miles. Don't worry about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that was definitely uh, a lot of that, for sure. But uh, he's a great pilot, though. Unfortunately, he, he doesn't fly anymore, but... Uh, you know, back in the day when oh when he was uh, yeah when he was handling this hand-eye coordination thing that's just uh, incredible really with the with flying well that's cool doug i appreciate you taking a couple minutes and catching up with us here and uh i guess if we can if we can look ahead to this weekend and uh in phoenix um is there anything you know was there anything you felt like in pomona that you could have done better anything you felt like in pomona that uh that you guys can can move ahead on and i know that's it's a game of constant improvement right it's a game of constantly kind of looking over what you do but um when you took five minutes to think about the weekend maybe on your flight home anything you said to yourself okay let's try to improve on that when we get to phoenix you know you obviously you're you know with what i'm doing driving the thing that's the stuff that i'm trying to figure out how to you know just got to be consistent with uh you know everything you're doing and uh you know as far as you know the car is real comfortable so that's good um yeah just just keep trying to keep up with these young guys that are trying to tear that tree down <laughs> that's uh that's the thing I'm, I'm always thinking about so well man it's gonna yeah. be fun uh, it's gonna be fun to watch this weekend and i know that there's uh there's a lot of people out there that are always pulling for uh for the mac tools top fuel dragster with a new sponsor this this year too with fifth third bank so it's great to see them in, on the race car and great for you to deliver a victory to them uh in their first race as a as a Coletta Motorsports uh, sponsor, and of course the deal you guys have with Mobile One now, and just a lot of good things happening for Coletta yeah. Motorsports. Going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, Phoenix this weekend. And Doug, again, I appreciate you taking the time out of what has to be an incredibly hectic schedule. So thanks again. No, thanks for having me on, and uh, appreciate uh, job you're doing out there. So we will see you this weekend, sir. All right, sir. Thank thanks, you. Doug. Take care. Always need to catch up with Doug Coletta, interesting guy there, and uh, it will not be the last time we have him on the NHRA Insider Podcast. I can promise you that. Doug has some big career milestones coming up this year that I think we'll be checking in after he achieves them. So moving forward now, we're going to have our second guest on. He is Ron Caps, And the reason I wanted to talk to Ron, as I mentioned earlier in the show, is the fact that uh, we really saw a lot of emotion out of Ron once this team got on the racetrack after all they had to overcome in the preseason. So Ron Caps, welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast. Ron Caps, welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast, man. Man. I can't believe I'm on here. I, usually, I got to win a race to get on here, so I appreciate you having me on, Brian. No, it's cool. I, and you know, I, I mentioned this at the top of the show, but I really wanted to catch up with you, kind of at this point, because I think now, like all the craziness that that led up to Pomona is like officially kind of passed. Maybe it isn't. Maybe you can tell us that it isn't or not. But um, I wanted to get your perspective now because of your really what you kind of lived through that first two weeks leading up to Pomona and then the race itself. So. Um, if we can go back to the first phone call you got that there was a problem, I mean, how one, how quickly did you know, and two, did you actually know how bad it was at first? Well, I woke up, you know, at my home in California, in San Diego, I woke up to a text from Ron Tobler saying, call me when you wake up. And that's either something usually really good, <laughs> right, right. or most of the time it's something <laughs> I need to worry about. So obviously them being three hours ahead, I called him. And I could tell in his voice when he picked up, I mean, there was no small talk. How are you doing? What's going on? Yeah. It was right to the point. And he said, look, uh, the guys are in 
Texas, Amarillo. The trailer caught fire. I got a call this morning at 4 a.m., you know, East Coast time. And he just explained uh, what had kind of happened, but didn't go into much detail. Yeah. I could tell that he was, and in fact, coming to find out, they everybody dropped what they were doing at the shop at DSR and even the fab shop, I mean, everything. And they pulled in Tony Schumacher's army rig that had been sitting in the shop, and uh, and they were trying to put new awnings on it because it's a right-hand trailer as opposed to our left-hand oh, with an man. awning. Okay. So I could hear a lot of movement going on behind him in his voice, and, and he was still running around, and everybody was just on full tilt getting everything cleaned out of the trailer, and it was going to be driven overnight by Dustin, our assistant crew chief, and, and one of our crew guys out to Amarillo to, to basically throw everything they could into it and drive to California because uh, it was snowing where the ca- the trailer caught fire. Um, so th- there was panic and Tobler, I could tell, and he was just uh, short and just told me what happened and said, you know, obviously we're not going to make Vegas. Um, we're hoping to make Pomona. Yeah. Um, and that's what was going on. So that was my first inkling of uh, how the season was starting. And so when you met up with the team, uh, I guess, when did you actually get to, to kind of see the, the breadth and depth of everything that happened? Like, when, when did you actually get out there? I mean, obviously, we had, you know, media day and all kinds of other stuff. So when did you link up with the team before Pomona? Well, uh, they went straight to the team hotel, which was located just uh, maybe 20 minutes south of the track. Uh, and so they were I was actually at the Super Bowl when they were arriving um, – at the hotel, they drove out of Amarillo. They loaded everything into the new trailer. Uh, basically, you know, I got a few phone calls into Dust and a couple of the crew guys, and they said it was just what didn't burn had so much smoke damage. Uh, you know, helmets, things you don't think of, clothing, and and uh, and then they just kind of threw everything into. A, they pulled up at a parking lot, threw everything into the new trailer. Nuts and bolts had you know were just a, a mess, and so. Uh, I was coming back from the Super Bowl, and they were at the team hotel, still going through everything. So it was it was a solid six or seven days yeah. of twelve or fourteen hour days of them trying to go through everything. And the first time I saw them was Wednesday at the track. I got up to do uh, to park my motor home and go to media uh, stuff for the for the race, and uh, and walked in. You could smell the trailer three trailers away, <laughs> smoke, <laughs> even though it was a different trailer. Yeah. And I walked in, and Tobler was. He was uh, itemizing nuts and bolts and washers, believe it or not. So um, I went in and kind of surveyed all the damage of my stuff. My helmet smelled like smoke, which actually to a funny car guy, (laughs) it's not that big of a deal sometimes. No, it kind of made me feel a little bit at home at first, but it was a different kind of a smoke smell, and it was just everywhere. So the whole weekend was just a matter of getting through the weekend and really through Phoenix before they could go to the shop and get – everything settled in it sounds like it sounds super cheesy to say and it sounds like it's it's patronizing but it isn't but honestly um i i could not foresee a group of guys that aren't yours that aren't that team getting getting to the race and actually competing like i just don't see it because the amount of time that uh, the europe team has together the amount of experience they have together and the fact that they were able to to shuck and jive so hard to make this happen, notwithstanding the work that was done at the shop to even get you a trailer, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. But the actual the dudes that were inside that you know nasty you know shrinky dink smelling oven <laughs> that they had to clean out for all those days, I mean nobody else I don't think is capable of doing that and getting you to a race, let alone a round win. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've got a lot of self-funded teams. We've got teams out there without major sponsors um, or even sponsors that they need to worry about, you know, doing appearances and, and things like I do with them or the commitment we have with Napa. And probably most of them would have just gone home or figured out a way to get their stuff together and, and maybe show up at Phoenix. Uh, but obviously we have the commit with Napa. There's a lot of commitment, you know, not only with customers and, and people being there, but um, you know, with our fans and stuff. And so it, it, it was never one second of, man, are we going to be able to even make Pomona? Yeah. Uh, Don Schumacher, I talked to him for a minute on the phone, and it, it was all, you know, foot on the gas for him. He was trying to get stuff handled to get a, anything we needed done. Uh, they, they mounted the awning. Within three days, they flew the people out from Indy, and they wrapped the old Army trailer with all the graphics from, what we had coming this year. So when we got to Pomona, uh, the trailer was already wrapped, had my picture on the back and, and everything was done. So, uh, there was never a moment of whether or not we were going to get to Pomona. It was going to try at all costs to make sure we showed up. And honestly, you know, the cars, there was a lot of stuff that burned. So we were really worried about the car, even though they went through it like it was off season, they went through it again. Uh, told her wanted to make sure everything was right, and we weren't even planning on going to the finish line the first run. And if everything was good, I was going to run it down there about seven, eight hundred feet and shut it off. So uh, really, the first run it made was a three ninety four, I believe it was. Yep. And so that was huge. You know, that was you know it's an emotional run because all the pressure, all the hard work those guys have been doing. When I hit the shoots button, it was almost like I felt like I'd won the race, um, emotional wise. Yeah, and, and that came through. Um, you know, we talked to you in the top end, and and um, you kind of once or twice had to catch yourself because it was it was getting you. And, and I can I can understand. I mean, it's a it's um it's a, tr- a traumatic thing to go through, and then to actually get to that point. And um, you know, you get to Sunday and you, and you win first round, which was like that must have actually felt like you won a race when you actually won a first round. But if if we could talk about the implications of this, you know, the implications of missing testing, and and obviously this is not about you know you knocking the rust off or your team figuring out how to service the car on time. I would guess a team of your experience and position that testing is more about literally exploring some some options in terms of different tuning directions, tuning uh, checking some options in terms of clutch packages. So you have so much data from the years before you have so much data from successful seasons. Do you just start with the old playbook and, and can you eventually try those things that you didn't get to try in Phoenix or what, or, or try in Vegas or what? Yeah, that, that's a good question because actually we were going to Phoenix to Vegas test. We were, we were going to try a, quite a few things that Toller wanted to try, but we did have the car that we finished the, the finals with there at Pomona. Uh, he wasn't changing a whole lot of, um, of big, parts you know it wasn't a huge tune-up change although we wanted to try new superchargers we had a few clutch discs that he wanted to slip into the to the pack things like that that you sometimes wait until mondays to try because it's hard to do during a race weekend uh and lose a run so you know ron tobler and you hear me bragging about it and it's not just me talking it's um he's meticulous about a lot of things he's great about training and explaining to his crew members uh one of the most patient uh, understanding crew chiefs I've ever been around, and I've talked about it before, where he he doesn't just tell a crew guy when he has a question. He doesn't tell him what to go do and what, what number or, or measurement to make and put something together. He sits down and explains why. And then afterwards, if something happens, he explains why to every single crew guy from the bottom all the way to the top. So 
when this happened, I, you know, I, I understand that I've been around him and my same crew guys. So if I knew that he could put last year's tune-up right back in it, and that was sort of the plan. We just kind of scrapped all the testing that we were going to do. He put the tune-up back in it, and, you know, that made me feel a little better as a driver. Um, but it was heartbreaking to go to Vegas Test, and I still had to go do a photo shoot and do some yeah, That must have sucked. Shoot. I mean, there's no way around. Yeah, that must have sucked. Yeah. Yeah, even my teammates, Hagen, looked over, and he's like, hey, man, you want to make a couple laps in my car? Um, just to get, to get the <laughs> rust knocked off. Everybody understands, and this is why I feel so proud of what my brother John does, but when you don't step on the gas in one of these cars for two or three months, that first run in testing, listen, everybody wants to go for testing, and, and you're testing parts, but the best part for a driver is these are the most awe-inspiring. I've gotten to drive midgets at Chili Bowl. I've gotten to test NASCAR, Talladega. I mean, it there is nothing like a fuel funny car when you step on the gas, nothing on the planet, no race car comes close. So that first time you step on the gas, when you haven't been in the car, it is, it gets your attention. <laughs> like, it reminds you of the first time that you ever got into one of these things. So just showing up a Pomona on Q1 and having to step on the gas with no runs, it's a little bit, it's, it, it gets your attention. So it was hard to be there and watch all my teammates making runs. So that being said, that 394 uh, and then the 391 after that were, you know, it, it was, you know, deep inside you're like, okay, there's the Ron Tobler tune-up. But you're like, oh, these guys have been at it for seven days, completely yeah. rebuilding everything on top of everything else happening. So, yeah, it was a big moment. He, uh, you know, Tober isn't, isn't, you know, the rah-rah leader guy. He's not the guy who's like, you know, making, you know, win one for the Gipper speeches. But I'm wondering if at some point over that weekend, whether it was after qualifying or, or eliminations or whatever, um, did he gather the guys around and just and just kind of debrief with them at all? Or And I know that's a normal part of things, but after everything that happened on that, that week preceding the race, did, uh, did Tober kind of grab the group together and, and have any words for him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we <laughs> – we did Friday after the run and, and as well as Saturday. And, and then when we lost second round and had the incident second round and had a little bit of a fire again, uh, he had another talk with everybody. And we always have those during weekends. Uh, the best part is when we do it, and you've been there, um, yep. after a win. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, those are the good ones. We'll <laughs> gather around um, after everything's done in the winter circle, and he'll pull all the, everybody in the trailer. And there's been people lucky enough to join that and be in on that, that little sort of celebration and toast of the weekend. But he had the same kind of feeling – Everybody worked so hard, and it was. I, I always enjoy those moments because, listen, you know the, the sport is, and I've heard other drivers say it. I mean, it, it, it's a show. We're we're out there for entertainment, but you have to understand. Yeah, it's entertainment, but I don't show up on a on a Friday morning, and in my head, I'm like, man, I can't wait to put a show on for the fans. No, you're a racer, like, man. I am. Yeah, yeah, I'm so legitimately there to kick somebody's butt and do it as a team and win and not lose. I just despise, I love the competition. I love competing and I never for a minute until the race is over. Do I think about it's a show because I think our fans, especially the hardcore fans, they love me or they love their favorite driver because we love to race and because we're out there putting everything on the line. So that's why I think, you know, for me being around guys like Tobler and, and just going and putting everything on the line, it's, uh, you get sort of engrossed in what you're doing, trying to win and trying to to uh, to not lose and be beat. That you sometimes forget everything that's going on. So, well, you know, you these know, little I, things is 
Yeah, they're, to your, they're good moments, I think. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And to your point, um, the the entertainment, the show, I think comes comes in different ways for different people. The the you know there are, there are guys that that there are fans out there that live for a you know for lack of a better term for a goofy John Forrest interview. There are fans that that show up. They want that. There are fans that show up. They want to see. They want to see two funny cars run within six thousandths of a second each other every time down the racetrack. So I think to your point. We need you, and we need all of you, the racers, to show up with that same mentality. Like, I want you to walk in there wanting to bust everybody's skull open, not with your hands, but, you know what I mean, with your race car in in, theor- in theoretical terms. Like, I want you to walk in there like a warrior and take the fight to everybody because that's ultimately what makes this sport great. It's ultimately what makes drag racing so compelling is when we see people show up. Like, I had Doug Coletta on as the first guest, and Doug Coletta, like, of all the times I've ever seen Doug Coletta drive, his, his weekend in Pomona – was insane. I mean, the guy pedals himself to a 388 in the first round. He goes 036 on the tree in round two next to a kid who pulled a 40 on him. And then he goes 38 in the final. Like, to me, that's a show, right? That's entertainment. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's a guy that, that's another guy there that shows up as a racer to the bone. Um, yeah, you're right. It's just a cast of characters, and everybody's there for different reasons and different ways they, they race. But, uh, you know, I watch. I watch football, NFL, and I don't want – I see a guy showboating, and it sometimes makes me upset if he's on a team I'm rooting for. I want to see a guy personally that's got his nose bleeding, he's got right. sweating, he's all dirty, and, and I want to see that kind of guy that's there to play the game. And at the end of the day, he, he that's why he's there and that's why he's competing. That makes me a fan of his. But there's also times when your favorite guy, you know, he does a celebration in the end zone. So we're, it's <laughs> right. all the same, and it, it, you know, it's, we're lucky to have that in NHRA with all really the, all the pro categories. I mean, you got so many different cast of characters. It's fun. It makes it so good. Well, yeah, and to your point, and and I'd like to kind of hear your opinion on this. Um, you know, Alex Milodinovich comes out and qualifies for a first race, and to to exactly what you just said to the point you made of, of NFL. Like so if you're a guy if you're a guy that's team is losing by three touchdowns and, and you tackle a guy for a three yard gain, you know, don't get up and dance. Please don't do that. And so in drag <laughs> racing terms, if I'm Ron Caps and I qualify fifteenth, whatever, I qualify fifteenth at um, at Phoenix, I'm not gonna get out of the car, you know, throwing my arms around somebody and losing my mind. But if I'm Alex Milodinovich and it's my first race and I qualify in the bump let it fly, and he did. And to me, it was one of my favorite uh, moments of the weekend when he was giving that interview, and and he he kind of felt, said like he felt like John Milner from the movies. To me, that's fantastic. Like we need it, we need that type of stuff as well. Yeah, that's the guy I grew up cheering for. I mean, not not him specifically, sure. but guys like that. So, you know, I'm over there in Vegas during the test, doing all the other stuff, the media stuff, and he comes running up to me um, with his. I believe it's his wife, and he asked me to sign his license. I did see one of his runs as we were shooting a, a commercial back behind the starting line, and I told one of his guys, it sounded like he did a great job staging and all that. Well, he went and found me, and and I didn't know that I knew him. He said he'd lined up next to me at a, at a nostalgia race okay. at the March meet at one point, and come to find out, he actually worked on the car when I drove Steve Pluger's <laughs> L.A. Hooker car. We set the national record at the March meet. He worked for Steve Pluger and helped build some of those chassis. So I learned all kinds of stuff and the guy had so much energy and I signed his <laughs> license off and then uh, they ended up being parked next to me at my RV in Pomona. So I got to know his family a little bit better and that was huge, man. Those are fun moments and people, 
I, I know the fans loved it, and and, yeah. and you know it's hard for you not to just realize that's a dream come true for a guy that grew up in that area to qualify for the the winter nationals of all things. Yeah, it was great. It was a neat thing, and and uh, you know we're gonna start. We're gonna see some of those stories. I think all through the course of the year, we have Doug Foley's coming back into top fuel this weekend, and a uh, little bit more seasoned guy than Alex is in terms of this style of racing. But it's gonna be cool to see him back as well, and of course Alexis back in your category, and that type of stuff is gonna be uh, kind of following us through the year, which is which is cool. Uh, I guess just give me your thoughts on Phoenix. Do you guys? You know, do you kind of feel like this is your Winter Nationals in Phoenix now that you don't have any of the weird dramatic stuff to get over? You kind of come in here, I would guess, in a, in a normal frame of mind? Yeah, I hope so. We had a pretty good fire that second round in Pomona. So, yeah. believe it or not, it did more damage oh, on that God. second round than it did in the fire in the trailer. <laughs> as far as, <laughs> Unbelievable. as Bernard, Yeah, I got a call from Tobler, I think, Tuesday after Pomona. And... He's always good about calling. We'll talk about the weekend and, and kind of debrief. But he said it burned so much off airlines and fuel stuff and just really did a lot of damage. And, and uh, he told me to go back and look at Mark Rebellis' picture, which I did, and it looked like a torch. And then he explained why and, and how they're going to fix that. And that's also why I love Ron Tobler. He's always thinking about something that happens and how to fix it and make it better, especially for me as a driver. So. The changes he made, I'm sure NHRA will notice and hopefully make that change so no other driver has to go through what I went through because it, it was a very quick fire, but it was very hot, and uh, it burned a lot of stuff inside the car very quickly. And I was, it, you know, it was very abnormal as hot as it got. So um, to answer your question, yeah, so we sort of have another new car built, basically, <laughs> with all the new airlines and stuff. So. You know, I never doubt Tobler, but it's nice. We're running that special Pennzoil car that's got a, I don't know if you saw the picture. I just put it out on social media, and it's uh, it's got a chrome blue, which I can't oh, wait nice. to see under the sun. Um, you know, so it's always fun to do these special Napa cars, and especially when we do Pennzoil, because uh, we won the race the first time we did it in Seattle with the Pennzoil car, and uh, it's a big weekend. You know, I've, I've gotten to win there several times and, and runner-up there even more. So it's always been a good place for me. And uh, and it's and it's a good racetrack. So, yeah, it might be a Pomona for us, but I think every run we make, we're just going to get stronger. We're just behind a little bit, and, and that's okay. But you know, I'm glad to see Pomona sort of in the rearview mirror and just kind of start focusing on on the next run. Well, cool, man. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, get us up to speed on what's going on with you and the team, and uh, certainly looking forward to seeing you in the desert here this weekend. And listen, man, if we can just keep the fire at the end of the header, at the end of the uh, zoomies, that's all we really need to do to be successful this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. <laughs> Ron Caps, driver of the Napa t- the Nitro Funny Car. Thank you so much, sir. And I will see you with the Napa and Pennzoil colors this weekend in Phoenix. Have a good week, man. See you this weekend. You got it, man. Thanks, Brian. See you. All right, let's welcome our next guest on to the NHRA Insider Podcast this episode. His name is Mike Galimi. He's a drag racing journalist who's been around the world of small tire and radial drag racing since its, exist- since its existence. Mike, how you doing, man? Good, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. You know, the reason uh, we have been talking, and we always talk about all different kinds of stuff, but, of course, uh, Lights Out 11 happened last weekend. Stevie Fast Jackson wins Lights Out. And, you know, I was thinking about having Stevie on the show, which I've had him a couple of times, and he's a great guest. But I also think there's value in kind of having the third-party guy who is, you know, you're an expert in the subject. And Stevie Fast is doing things now that we've never seen anybody do, uh, really, in this form of drag racing. 
Yeah, no, it's it's impressive. Uh, last two events, U.S. Street Nationals at Bradenton and then Lights Out 11 at South Georgia last weekend. And um, it's a string of runs. I, I don't think I've ever seen it at this level, um, the consistency and, you know, flat-out domination. Um, and the guy is just un- unbeatable right now. Yeah, and I think what's weird in in an impressive way is that, at least for me, for as long as I've been following, you know, this radio versus the world category, there has been really no predictability to it. I mean, you've had the guys that have been good, and you've had guys that you know that can lay down runs, but we've never actually seen somebody start to show up to these races, and then you just expect them to win. And I think Stevie has has not, um, by mistake, put himself in that position at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you have to. Yeah, he's got to mess up in order for someone to beat him at, at right now. Um, I mean, the team is is just that on point. Um, I mean, just looking at the numbers, I pulled the, the, you know all of his runs from the last two events, and when he, you know, goes to the finish line under power, he's in the three fifties um, every single time. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it, so just just right out of the gate, his slowest run on eliminations was a three fifty eight six at at lights out, and his quickest was three fifty six six. I mean, it's you know two hundredths of a second difference um throughout eliminations i mean that's just incredible uh, you know then you move to the u.s street nationals it's the same story right 354 eight um just off the record he had set the day before at 354 six and the slowest run he had was a 394 five but it was a buy run and he had lifted early um, yeah and i think you know the, <laughs> the, the the 350s runs are, are are one thing but it's the, like the way that they're happening in the like you said the consistency every single run now the thing seems to be running in the in the 350s which is still very rare territory and you know the, the craziest thing to me is um you know a guy like ronnie hobbs was at that race uh, racing daniel ferris's old car which is the only turbo car that's ever gone in the 350s and it did it once, and it's never done it again. And then, and then we look at Stevie, and he just can't get away from it. So, you know, obviously the the brain power and and the um, I guess attack that those guys have, I think is, uh, you know, it's I'm not blaming them for it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but those guys, in my opinion, are operating on a different level than most of the other teams. And that's not to say there's not a lot of brilliant minds and good equipment out there, but like you have you have a very professional approach that's going on right now with, with uh, Stevie Fast and Billy Stockland and Phil Schuler and the whole group there, which I don't know if anybody can match at this point. I mean, the Salemis have come close. The Salemis, I think, bring that level to the <laughs> table, but but no one's been able to stop him yet. Yeah, she, uh, you know, you go to her numbers, and, and same deal, right? U.S. Street Nationals, back-to-back 357s, but, you know, one of those happens to be up against Stevie in the semifinals, and, you know, and he goes a, a, a 50, uh, 54 against her. You know, and it's just uh, incredible um, just to run into them in the middle of eliminations. Um, but, yeah, they, they are the closest right now. You know, they have a purpose-built car. You know, but Stevie's, you know, Stevie's got an advantage over everyone else. You know, uh, on Monday, everyone goes back to work. And, you know, Stevie goes back to work working on a pro mod. You know? so <laughs> right, right. I think there's something to be said about that and, uh, you know, just the focus of, of the team and, you know, this is this is what they do, yeah. and it, it's hard to run against that. And you know, the the, the Salemis um, were looking like they were going to be kind of like they were on a parallel track to kind of run into Stevie at the end of that race. And and what stopped them was was just a very small mistake was made in the pits. I got somebody dropped. Literally, there was a very small component of the race car. Somebody dropped, couldn't find it. Melanie does the burnout, and said tiny component basically bridges the uh, bridges the the points on the uh, ignition box and fries it, and that's the end of the car. 
and it won't fire up again. I mean, a one in a million shot. Like, this is not something that's going to happen ever again. But to me, it's an interesting thing that we've gotten to this point in the in the radial racing side of things where you, you get down to that level. Like, you need to have a car and a team that can turn the car around with basically perfection in that in that hour, hour and a half window between runs. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and then you look at the dynamic of these events, right? You, you guys race till what? you know, RBW two in the morning. Yeah. I think we ran the final somewhere about two. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, the, and, and you know, these teams are, are showing up the track at, at 8am, 7am and, and start working. And, uh, you know, th- th- just the mental, you know, duress that you're under, you know, the pressure of, of qualifying <laughs> yeah, for that and many hours. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's just, it's mental fortitude as much as it is, you know, parts in the trailer and, you know, and, and smarts. And, uh, it, I think that, you know, they're, their problem and why they got eliminated is, is proof to that. And, and Stevie's team is, you know, they're, they're great. I mean, they're pros they They know what they're doing. Each one of them, you know, you, you walk around that car and, and it's, it's just like a fuel team, right? They run it. And, and just, you know, yes, you know, his motivation, Schuler's experience and, and, you know, the smarts with Billy Stockley. I mean, all of them are, are intelligent. It's just, uh, it's a very hard combination to beat. So I guess that now, now I'm going to ask you to put on your opinion hat. Is it good? Is this a good thing for drag radial racing? Does it does it become does it become um, a bad thing if if a bunch of people show up and go? You know what? We can't really compete at this level. Is this we got to find something else to do? Is this? Do you still feel like he's in a good position and he's good for what's going on there? Um, listen, I mean, you know, everybody says the same thing when John Force dominates. You know, and then you look at the car counts that the, the following year and they grow. Right. When, when someone dominates that, it, it seems, especially on the nitro side, that, you know, people want to race. Right. I mean, this is why we do it. This right. is why everybody gets attracted to it. They want to be the best. And I think there's attraction for a lot of people, maybe not on the, the, the sheer numbers. Maybe the guy who's there just to hang out and have some fun. You know, maybe that's just all he cares about. But in terms of the ones that want to be a part of it and go for the win, um, I, I think there's always going to be a, a group that that looks at Stevie and says, you know what, I want to beat that guy. And, and that's what the sport's been built on. Yeah, no, that's a fact. And to kind of roll through some of the other news that's come out this week and some conversations you and I have had, you know, to give you a little bit more background on Mike, he's uh, very involved with the Pro Media Company, which produces the NMRA and NMCA series. Uh, Mike, uh, you know, for better or worse, uh, very much loves Ford Mustangs. You can you can blame him for that, or you can <laughs> you can accuse him of that, or whatever you want. But no, that's that's where he's been around his whole life. And you know, Mike, this week we've seen two big pieces of news come out of the world of what we can call kind of outlaw style drag racing, which is um, that the Bounty Hunters No Prep Race, which I would consider one of the biggest ones in the country. Uh, has been canceled for this year for uh, the organizers citing some management changes at the racetrack in San Antonio for it. And then we saw the Outlaw Streetcar Reunion, which falls into the same genre as a Lights Out 11 has been, uh, if for lack of a better term, canceled for, for this year as well. And there's not a lot of opportunities for guys to race these cars. So when we talk about Radio vs. the World, we're talking about what, about a half dozen races this year, maybe eight if we kind of stretch ourselves a little bit. What are you seeing and kind of what's your what's your take on what we've gotten out of the last week of news here? Um, I, I think it's just natural sport, you know, the progression in our sport, right? Uh, you know, there, there's always this ebb and tide of, of popularity um, of, of certain genres, especially in this side of things, right? You know, sure. you know no prep, and, you know, it's rise. I and mean, everything has its boom and its bust. You know, Pro 5 Racing, Outlaw 10.5, I mean, we see it all. And it, it's still, you know, it's still there, right? Outlaw 10.5 is still there. Yeah, the stuff still and, exists, sure. Right. And I think, you just, I think this is just that natural progression in and out of it. Um, you know, 
being that Stevie does, you know, racing for full time. And I think just going back to the, the other question, um, you know, with the less events, I think it does make it to where a lot of other teams can compete, right? Because as we said, these cars are ex- extremely expensive to operate. You know, they're not funded by by sponsorship in, in the sense of, of the nitro ranks. And I think that the less number really does help some of the some of the other teams really focus on it and, and go after a Stevie. So I, I think there's a good and bad in all of it. And I think that's one of the positives is that it gives it gives people a, a better opportunity to focus, test, learn, and then put a big effort and then have a break after that and not have to go, you know, reorganize the trailer to go to another race the following weekend. Yeah, I think um, to your point, one of the things that's most interesting to me about, you know, about the, the specifically radio versus the world competition is that you have, you know, nobody really lacks for anything in that, you know, in that division. The guy, everybody that shows up has what I would consider top shelf equipment. And there, you know, there are some guys who kind of bounce between a couple different classes, but really the dedicated radio versus the world cars, they show up in a tractor trailer truck, they have backup parts, they have pieces, they're they're willing to burn the stuff to the ground to be competitive. And to your point, yeah, maybe a guy only has X amount of money to spend per year and he'll spend all of it in those four, six, eight events. So yeah, maybe it isn't such a bad thing. I mean, I, I don't like to see races going away, as I know you don't. I feel like we always want to have events that, that cater to these different categories and people. But uh, maybe it's not the end of the world if you if you tighten up, snug up the ranks a little bit, and they said maybe it drags another guy or two in that uh, that said, okay, I can run four races a year and feel like I can be a player as opposed to having to spread it out over eight. Yeah, no, and I, it, you know, I think you know, especially a guy like Ronnie Hodds, who's you know, he bought the car late last year. Um, they've been doing a bunch of testing and just been talking to Jamie Miller, who's the crew chief on it, and, and they're trying a lot of stuff, right? And and but they're getting very close to their goal of running with the screw blown cars, but it's going to take time. Right. So they're, they're trying to do something with a turbo car. Nobody's ever done before. And, I, and stuff like that takes time. You've got, you know, extremely smart people working on these cars. You just give them the time to do it. And I think with the, with the, the condensed schedule, it does play into their favor for that, that they can go test, take the time to do it and, and regroup and be ready to go. Um, you know, again, I mean, you know, these guys, you know, all of them, except for a couple of them, don't do this for a living. And, uh, you know, I think you look at, at you know, a Mark Mickey, Jason Carter, you know, and, and when they were, you know, they've, they've gone to the Pro 275 setup, but when they ran Radio vs. the World, they physically couldn't go back-to-back weekends or, or even two or three weeks right. later. It's very hard because they, they get back, they have to, you know, actually go to work. Right, you, you operate families. a business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know be able to afford to do this but then they have to you know take the whole car apart go through everything and and you know it's it's a nighttime and, and a weekend operation and uh no so i think that the, the the smaller schedule does play in the favor for now and and we've seen this through drag racing since the 60s right it, the the growth spurts the the shrink and then the backup again and i think it's uh i, I don't think it's it's to be alarming um i, I think it's uh it helps people you know with the smaller budgets yeah and and you know the really you know, for for guys like you and I who kind of are in this thing for our living or for our life and for our career, it, it maybe is a little bit more jarring than for the normal dude or dudette at home because we kind of know the guys that are putting the races on and you know the the level of, of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into pulling one of these things off. You especially being involved in the in this, the two series that you are kind of understand the behemoth task it is to get anything off the ground, let alone make something work for enough years that it becomes uh, – you know what you would hope to be stable, and then and then you have to pull the plug on it. So um, certainly not uh, again, certainly not celebrating the fact that there are two less races for people yeah. to go compete at. But it's uh, 
it's it's a sad nature of the business and and we can look at we can look at any number of things like you said even series over the years that that had their their highs and then went away um i know one probably that touched you personally the world four challenge for that, that exploded onto the scene and was such a big deal for for what about half a decade a decade out there in st louis it was uh, yeah nine, nine years through you know spent most of its life in st louis and uh but yeah i mean it, it wasn't money right it was uh well, it was actually 10 years, right? World War Challenge 10 was the final one. And, uh, you know, they were throwing $35,000, which at the time was absolutely unheard of. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was monster, you know, yeah. It, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, just the, the genre of vehicles, you, you know, it's a Ford, ba- you know, Ford-powered, Ford-bodied, and, and at the time wasn't a very popular setup. So they struggled to get cars at that level. And, uh, and unfortunately, it did go away, and eventually Pro 5 went away for, you know, for a variety of reasons, but... Uh, money definitely wasn't, you know, purse wasn't, wasn't it. So, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just part of the game. And if you do this long enough, you, you, you recognize the trends and some of the stuff that comes and goes. So talking about things coming and going, let's talk about the NMRA and NMCA season this year. I know you guys are going to kick off NMRA with your traditional spring break shootout down in Bradenton, Florida. Let's, I guess, talk about what you guys got on tap on both sides of the uh, pro media deal this year. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, you know, Spring Break Shootout's always, uh, you know, that's one of the first of, like, big events I ever traveled to back in uh, 95 or 96. So it's always always been a fun one. Um, it, it's the same party, right? It's just a bunch of Mustang guys show up, ready to, to cut loose, except we're all just a little bit older now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, Attack of the Streetcars, uh, some really neat seven and eight second streetcars, really just to... Uh, in you know, a shootout is the big focus, and obviously our championship categories with Street Outlaw, which is like X275, and uh, you know, great, great lineup there. Great bunch of cars, a bunch of blower and turbo guys making the trip down there, which which should be fun. And we got some neat stuff. So we brought back No Time Racing on Saturday night, which people really, nice. really had fun with. And, and we got Boosted GT as kind of our you know unofficial host, cool. uh, you know, bringing his car down, have some fun. And then we got a cool match race, which. Uh, Vaughn Gittin and Chelsea Denofa, who really aren't known in the drag racing side because they're Formula D drift racers. And, uh, you know, Vaughn's got a, a, a vehicle company that he does a Mustang RTR. He does a Ranger truck. He does these, you know, expanding into off-road. And um, so we kind of got together with those guys last year at the Holly Ford Fest. And it's uh, he's going to drag race his Formula D cars, which would be fun. He's never had them <laughs> no, on the drag cool, strip. That's cool, man. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it'd be a best of three match race between him and his teammates. And it's kind of a preview into working on something bigger for 2021 with, you know, uh, Cleese McFarland's uh, Freedom Factory right next door. So this year we'll be drag racing with the Formula Drift cars. Hopefully next year uh, with Vaughn and his team, we're going to be doing some some more things with drifting and off-road trucks and kind of expand into the greater market beyond just drag racing. So that, that'll be fun for spring break shootout. And, um, you know, the NMCA side of it, uh, you know, we got pro mods and, and, uh, you know, factory supercars is, is I think the, the big headliners Absolutely. for the following weekend. And uh, I think we've got uh, right now 20 or 21 factory supercars lined up, man, that's awesome. Um, ready to rock, which are, which are always great. I mean, you know, just, you know, great characters who race those cars. The, you know, the vehicles themselves are, are characters in this whole story. So it, yeah, it'll be are. fun to watch. Yeah, you know, speaking of characters and uh, guys' name that you mentioned, and and I'm interested because we we have a lot of conversations along these lines, kind of along the media front, and and how people are reaching young audiences, and and how people are connecting to these kids that like cars. And Cletus McFarland clearly is a guy who is on another level than pretty much anybody else uh, in that genre. 
Buys DeSoto Raceway is renamed at the Freedom Factory down there, which is basically abuts the drag strip at Bradenton. And he and Victor have a great relationship, so that's going to be, I think, highly beneficial to both of them. But to your uh, to your opinion, to your to your experience and watching kind of the world of media evolve, um, what do you make of Cletus and kind of what Cletus McFarlane represents to reaching with that audience that everybody is dying to reach the kids? No, I think he's he's great. I think he's got a, a great idea. I think he keeps his viewers engaged. Uh, we, we've had him at some NMCA events and in NMRA. And, you know, he even commented, you know, we talk about the youth, but he was actually surprised on how many older people were fans of his as well. So I think he, he really reaches a raw, wide demographic. Um, and just it's just the, the automotive lunacy, right? I mean, people just like having fun with cars. And, uh, you know, him picking up the Freedom Factory and uh, – his vision for it is, is great. It's not just him, but it's also going to be open to other YouTubers, much like you know, you see this on some of more of the lifestyle influencers across social media where they'll get like a mansion and it's yes. there to create content. Well, Freedom Factories now, you know, like if you noticed, you know, Mike Finnegan was in there, some diesel truck guys were in there, yep. monster truck. I mean, it's, it's going to be a really neat operation. It's going to be a blend of, you know, a nitro circus events for fans, but then also private use for other YouTubers as well as himself to create content, have, have their own environment. They can control the, you know, the, the racetrack in what they're doing rather than having to go find a place to do it. Yeah. It's cool, man. It's a, it's a brave new world out there and it's neat to see, it's neat to see these guys like him emerge that have really figured it out. And I think one of the things I particularly like about him is like, it always seems to be like just enough. Like, you know, you watch some guys that are, that are in that same type of space and it's just, you, it's almost tough to tolerate or stomach what they're doing. And it's just like, uh, but with his stuff for however, you know, he has a great innate sense of when they make these videos and when they, whether we're talking with the language they use or how they present themselves, it always goes right to the point of being enough. And then you go, okay, I can't wait to see the next thing that happens. So he's a, he's a very smart guy. And, um, I think that's another great thing is, you know, he kind of emerged not from nowhere, but he was, you know, buddies with Kyle at 1320 video and started doing <laughs> yeah. this persona. And it's a, it's incredible to see he's taken this kind of funny persona that was just kind of a sideline in some videos and turned it into kind of a cultural experience at this point. Well, I mean, I think that's, you know, a lot, a lot of great ideas just come from like just out of the blue, right? It's really natural and organic and, and, uh, you know, that just, you know, just be goofy, have some fun and, you know, the rest kind of falls into place most of the time. And I think that's really what happened. To put a nice loop on this whole conversation, we'll go back to kind of where we started with Stevie Fast because he has concentrated a lot successfully on making content for his YouTube page, making content for his sponsors like Holly EFI. He's doing a lot of stuff with them now, kind of educating people on how to use the product, making some fun videos uh, that kind of bring people inside the race shop and inside his mentality. Um, do you see Stevie – do you see Stevie not in the same light as a Cletus McFarlane, but do you think he can have the same effect in drag racing as a Cletus McFarlane, a much smaller, more concentrated audience? But it seems like he's trying to move in that direction in terms of making content that people want to see, not just being a race car driver. 100%. I think, uh, I think just the modern motorsports uh, personality has to do it that way. And, you know, I know you and I have talked about uh, Leah Pruitt and, and how yes. successful she is on social media with her other stuff yes. and how that, really is a great tie into what she does as, as, as her job of driving top fuel. And I think Stevie's on the same, on the same path. Um, you know, Ken block is, is the pinnacle of, you know, 
I love Ken Block. I couldn't tell you how he was as a rally racer. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. But I can tell you about every single else other side project he's had and the fun cars he's built and yeah. and the adventures he's gone on. And I, I think that's where I think that's where you know Stevie is going is going to grow even more, bigger, better um, as he educates people who care about the hardcore racing side of it, have some fun for the fans, and then give an inside look into what it takes to 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 run a you know professional pro modified and, and radio versus the world operation i think he's he's got a great thing going i think it's only gonna get bigger think he can repeat in 2020 it's uh again he is uh the team he has just like they're doing in, in rvw now you know i know the cars are they may look very similar but they are drastically different i think but i think that you learn a lot and i think the more you race the more you learn the more your team becomes sharper and and, and you know doesn't make mistakes which is pretty you know in the pits is just as much on the track with mistakes and i think the more you race the better you are and i think that's going to translate in, into into pro mod again i think it'll be very very hard to beat i mean gosh i mean how, you know between the, the the first two events and testing what was the guy have you know 50 or 60 runs already yeah maybe not that many but maybe 30 runs 40 runs yeah, i mean only, that's the only guys that are close uh to what he's done in my estimation are janice and tutoro they've been over there racing in mm-hmm. um in qatar and you know tutoro and janice i would have put last year as kind of one and two on the threat list and i i kind of got to keep them there and tutoro really was right there with him until he had the wreck in topeka and things kind of went uh kind of went sideways for him but yeah, I, I think I think he's capable of doing it, and I think the the main difference between what he's doing right now in Radio vs. the World and what he's going to have to do in Pro Mod is that there are more, I want to say, more full time style guys out there. There are more grizzled teams that, like you said, relish the opportunity to come take them on as opposed to maybe wince when they have to race them. Yeah, but I mean, you know, but but Stevie's been great. Of you know, he may talk a lot of trash, but you, you know, the focus on just himself, I think, oh, is yeah. really good. And and you look at the consistency he's throwing down the radio versus the world car, and if he could translate that into the pro mod side of things, then you know that's a hard package to, to, to compete against. You know, and you you mentioned about just his reaction times. You know, when when he's got someone, he's got to race hard. He just turns it on, and. uh and that's you know that's that's a valuable trait in this business. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, he. Uh, we were talking on the phone. I said he made me look like a hero at lights out because he went thirty-one in the second round. I think it was. And I said, listen, I've watched this guy race now uh, pretty much every time he's been on the racetrack for the last couple of years. I said he's going to be between fifteen and eighteen guaranteed in the next round, and he was seventeen. And it's like you, he he's able to snug it up just enough. And and thankfully, you know, for him anyway, his car was brutally fast anyway. But the seventeen was kind of icing on the cake, but. To me, when you see a guy that has that much command, like not only does his crew chief have command of the race car, the guy behind the wheel has that type of mental command of himself. Um, yeah, it becomes scary. And, and that's the type of stuff, you know, tune up and everything else aside, just hitting the tree like that is what is is ultimately been very helpful to him too because they come out from Gainesville on. Like you see guys maybe still trying to find their spot after making their four or five test runs a week before Gainesville. Well, like you said, this guy is going to have 80 runs under his belt by the time he pulls into the gate, and most of those are competition runs, and he's going to be on the chip from from moment one. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a guy who could, who could definitely take the pressure. I mean, he's, you know, time and time again in big money, you know, grudge racing where, you know, where his roots really are. And, and then now the radio stuff and now experience. And now he's got, you know, a team, I think, uh, is, is Phil full-time with him? Maybe. I he think, is. I think yes. He Phil is, is a, Phil is right. a full-time member of the operation. Yeah. Right. So now, yeah, I mean, man, that's just, uh, 
that, that's a good group. Man. <laughs> that's going to be really hard to, to really run against. And like you said, there are guys, right? Totoro, Castellano. I mean, he's got, Castellano's got Manza, right? So, I mean, you, you got guys who definitely could compete um, with him. It, it'll, it'll be It'll be fun to watch how this all plays out in the next the next month or two. That's a fact. Mike Galimi, you know him, you love him from the pages of places like Hot Rod Magazine, the pages of great magazines uh, like Fastest Streetcar and others out there. Thank you, Mike, for uh, taking some time with us. And you know what? This will not be your last visit. I was worried when this started that it wouldn't be that good, but I think you're going to be able to come back and do this again. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. It's always, <laughs> fun, always fun to chat your egg recent with you. Yeah, buddy. Thanks, Mike, and I will uh, see you down the road. Sounds good. So there we have it, our three guests on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, three very different guys, Doug Coletta, Ron Caps, and then Mike Galimi, people bringing different perspectives to the world of not only NHRA drag racing, but drag racing in general. Great to talk to all three of them. Looking very much forward to getting to Chandler, Arizona, just outside of Phoenix, to Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park this weekend for the 2020 NHRA Arizona Nationals. Keep your eyes peeled on NHRA.com for the television schedule, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday shows from this event, qualifying shows on Friday. I should say qualifying show on Friday and then a qualifying lead-in show on Sunday leading right into elimination. So you can get up to speed on everything that's happened over the course of the early part of the weekend and then tune in for final round eliminations on Sunday. It is going to be a fast weekend. Highs about low 70s we're hearing in the Arizona area. Should be nice and dry there in the desert and that means time to go fast. We'll find out if Doug Coletta can continue his winning ways. We'll find out if Steve Torrance can return to the series and compete at the highest level as we know he and believe that he can and Finally, we'll figure out if Ron Caps and his team have their car straightened out for the race this weekend. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. I'll be back next week with another episode as we'll talk more about what's going on during the 2020 season and what we can look forward to past Arizona as we'll be preparing for the Gator Nationals. Thanks for listening. See you next week.